Good morning, everyone. Today is September 3rd, and it's about 10 after 8 in the morning. Labor Day here in the U.S. It's also a federal holiday in Canada, which I assume is like some sort of parallel, although I'm not sure exactly what kind. I'm still making my tea here. Getting ready for the day. I did work all weekend, um, finishing Arrows of the Heart. So, but I didn't podcast because I was just pretty much diving into it. Uh, yesterday, however, I just I hit tired, um, which is a phase. I almost didn't podcast today because I was thinking, eh, I'm just going to write and put my head down and get this done. Um, but I do want to kind of re- try to record this stuff, record what I'm like at the various points of my process. Uh, I don't know if you guys care. You guys are listening, so somebody cares. <laughs> but I, uh, sorry, I'm putting dirty clothes in the pantry or in the closet here because Sparky the Roomba will be back to work today, it being a Monday. And he chokes on clothes on the floor. Actually, I thought the house was really going to go to hell with my uh, concentration on this book, but it's not too bad. Uh, I will take tomorrow off and probably do some cleaning up. Some cleaning up and some playing. I've been saving magic triumphs for when I finish this book since I knew that once I started it, that's the new Ilona Andrews and the end to the Kate Daniels series, which is very sad because I really have loved that series. I started reading that um, when I met Ilona at RT way back in 2009. She had the first two books with her. And I I was shopping my first book, the book that became Rogue's Pawn, but I was such an avid reader, and I just loved that book. So, yeah, I'm disjointed. I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, Yeah, I did want to try to get all the points of my process. Um, Someday I might come back and listen to some of these or transcribe them and sort of see what I can discover from them. I did my SFF7 blog post yesterday, on, uh, which is part of why I didn't podcast thought, well, if I'm writing a blog anyway, I don't need to podcast too. But that was on long-term planning, short, mid-term, and long-term planning. But I talked a little bit about about how tracking my progress, tracking what I'm doing, um, helps me, helps inform the future, helps me inform what I'm doing. And so that's part of this too, is making sure that I... Alright, tea is done steeping. I just want to understand what works well for me. And one thing I'm very aware of right now, um, and this is partly because... Oh, why did I do that? See, that's what you guys get for distracting me. I poured my soy milk into David's cup. Instead of my gold metallic stripey cup, which is the one that 
is on my logo that I never use. <laughs> um, but I don't care because David and I share cooties anyway. So I'm correcting this problem. Yeah, no harm, no foul. But last month, and I was podcasting at this point, though I don't think I necessarily discussed it. I was, you know, in Denver with Dorinda. Ah, sorry about that. Dropped my little tea kettle lid. That wasn't so good. Okay, we're going to put the tea over the flame to keep warm, and then we'll take the London fog outside. I got some loose leaf Earl Grey, so I didn't have to do the tea bags. I am. If any of you have read since last Christmas, Amy's Persnickety Tea Ways is so me. I have all of that stuff. It was kind of fun giving her that. So, yeah, I know you guys are like prompting me. Okay, Jeffy, you were saying... Oh, yeah, that I was finishing the Orchid Throne in Denver with Dorinda. And so that's like a month ago, a little over a month ago, six weeks. But still fresh in my mind because I was kind of aware of my book finishing process being with her. We're going to go out front because the kitties are feeling frisky today. I did go out and clean out the grape arbor yesterday. And it was <laughs> was a field of choya burrs. That little pack rat's going to have to. I won't say die because I wouldn't kill her, but I don't know. All right, first sip. She's going to have to give up, which doesn't sound nearly so threatening. But being with Dorinda, I was really aware of a lot of my emotional thrashing and tiredness and work habits. Um, she, of course, is a very accommodating person. And so it was not a problem to, you know, I kept saying, okay, I'm done now. Or, oh, I'm going to work now. And she'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> and just sort of going along with it. But I noticed that I really do, and I've talked about this before, but I slow down at the end. Um, I can really lay on the words. I was doing 4,500 words a day for when I was working for the last couple of weeks. I'm also taking some days off. And then on, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Well, I did, did 9,000 words, a little over 9,000 words between Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday, I backed it off to 3,800. And I thought, well, if I could do 3,800 Friday or Saturday, let's see, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, then I could finish. I could hit where I think the final part of the story will be. You know, and some people ask me about this because I'm not necessarily going for specific word count, but I can predict from like where the other beats are from the act one climax, where the, how, what, how many words it's going to take to reach the end. So that worked fine. I did 3,800 words each day, Friday and Saturday. And August ended up being my third highest word count month ever. So I did a lot of work in August, especially considering I was gone a lot. 
And then yesterday, I only got like 2,000 words. And I know, I, I, and if you guys are groaning and rolling your eyes at me, I have friends who do it too. Uh, I know that only 2,000 words is a lot for some people. Um, but it just wasn't anywhere near my goal. And I, but I came up on fumes. You know, I kind of hit this point where I can tell that I just, um, I can't think about it anymore. My friend Kelly Robson asked me this morning if I was ready to kill it today. And I said, well, at least be feebly at it with a stick until it gives up, <laughs> which is about how it feels at this point. But I did send the book to my editor yesterday when I gave up, and that was part of my giving up it for the day, throwing in the towel, um, because he had asked to have it for today. And we've worked together on many books. He's edited all of my Twelve Kingdoms novels and, and Uncharted Realms novels and novellas. And Peter Senfleben, who is at pseditorial.com. If you're interested in hiring him to do freelance work for you, he's great. Um, so at any rate, I have done this a number of times before. Sent Peter most of the book, minus like the final chapter or so. And he can start reading. That's something that's much easier to do with content edits than line edits. Because with content edits, he'll make some notes on the document itself. But really not that many. He'll just... Um, and it's easy for him to... If he knows that I haven't quite sent the whole thing, he'll just... Uh, I think... He, you know, Actually, I do know this. He told me once. It's gasp. He prints it out. He prints it out and makes notes. He says so that just helps put him in his editor frame of mind. So then it's very easy for him to simply transcribe over it because he does send me back a digital document. So that way, I know he was wanting to use his holiday, as it were, to read. Um, so I sent him, I said, here's only the first 350 pages. <laughs> So he'll dive into that, and I'm going to try to finish that last chapter today. I am, um, yeah, I've gotten through most of the emotional stuff, and I've kind of the final conflict, which is one of my things that I come up against that final conflict and trying to make sure everything in it is earned. And then there's going to be an epilogue. And anyway, numbers-wise, I'm at like, I don't know, 98,000 words, something like that. So, and I thought I might finish around 103 and 100 or 105. And I doubt I'll write that many words today. I don't think I have that many words in me for one day for starters. Um, and really, as long as I lay down the bones of the chapter, I can always go back and flesh out. I kind of want to see what Peter thinks of this ending. I'm starting to think that I should change something back in Act 1, that I should change the outcome of a particular incident um, to, to sort of justify this ending that I'm envisioning. Um, 
you know, we talk about this a lot, Dorinda and I talked about it a lot, you know, like, do I know how books are going to end? And I always say that I don't. And she says, oh, but you really do. And yeah, I, I don't know. I do and I don't. Um, for a long time, I did not know how this story would end. And then as I got closer, as I got to um, sort of this final conflict, I have an image in my head of this scene, but I'm not quite sure how to get to it, how to, what I'm saying is justify it. I'm not sure my characters have a good enough reason to do the thing I want them to do. And I'm wondering if I should, back in Act 1, give them a much better reason. But I'm thinking... And I did kind of think about yesterday's changing it, and then it felt too big. It felt too difficult because I have to think through some of the magic and world implications if that happens. So I'm going to wait and see what Peter thinks um, if I should do that, which is one of the great things about working with an editor because especially after you've been, you know, after you're 100,000 words into a story, it's not always easy to see how it could be different. You, know, you kind of get used to it being a particular way. And while this will probably make absolutely no sense whatsoever, this always makes me think of casting movies. <laughs> um, what do they call that? It's not like a cast... Is it a casting director? I could probably look on IMDb, but I won't in case it'll mess this up. Uh, well, it's, you know, like there's always the person on the movie and you know, you never know who they are, who's in charge of casting the movie. And, you know, a lot of times they don't get to cast the really big roles too, because that's the directors or the producers say, well, we've attached George Clooney and Kate Blanchett to this project. And then the casting director gets to cast everybody else. But I always find it fascinating to read, like on IMDb, the other people who were considered for the role and, you know, like who was first choice but turned it down. And uh, one of the things I did last night was I watched, well, when I gave up, I read on the porch for a while and then I watched Thor Dark World. <laughs> and, and then we watched Ocean's 8. When after David got home, and I was reading on IMDb as I do. One of my I love that Dorinda does this too. I think this is really funny. She actually reads it far more exhaustively than I do, but I follow along and read about the casting and the trivia and so forth as I as we watch the movie, and that makes me happy. But um, I was reading that Jennifer Lawrence was originally going to play the role of the glamorous actress that Anne Hathaway plays in Ocean's 8. And they sort of threw it out there as this little tidbit saying, um, which is funny. I don't know why they always find these things like, you know, it's whatever dork puts it in, you know, and wants to up their cred by making it seem more interesting. I have some more tea here. But they, you know, act like these are sort of um, cosmic fate things, but they're, interestingly enough, um, Anne Hathaway had been slated to play the lead role in Silver Linings Playbook, and Jennifer Lawrence took her place. So it was like they'd swapped out these two different roles, which, you know, of course, 
this kind of thing happens all the time, and there are two major leading actresses of, of an age. So, of course, they're up for a lot of the same roles. But it's funny to me to think about other people in roles, um, to be able to swap out a person. Because thinking about Anne Hathaway playing that Jennifer Lawrence role in Silver Linings Playbook, um, yeah, I can't picture it. I really... I mean, she obviously would bring a very different character to the story. And she probably, and I'm sure she would have been good, and I, I guess I could see why they thought of her. But that's part of what it is for me, is it's hard for me to envision somebody else in that role. I'm sure this has something to do with my personality. Uh, when I was younger, you know, it used to be much, much more difficult for me to see a movie made from a book. You know, and of course we all like that. You know, the book, the book was better. The book is always better. Uh, but the movie can sometimes bring something else to it. But one thing is, is like talking about seeing a character play uh, or an actor or actress play a beloved character and they don't, they aren't like you wanted them or the way you had them in your head. The, the book stuff is like that when you think about changing something. And I've seen other writers talk about this too. When you talk about changing a key thing in the book, even if it's not huge. You know, sometimes, you know, people will say, well, you know, the, oh, like I remember Dorinda, this is one that pops to mind, um, on her YA trilogy, uh, when she first wrote it, they said that her grandparents were much too kind and she needed to make the grandparents uh, more uncaring <clears throat> to sufficiently motivate the heroine. And you think, well, all you have to do is like change the scenes that they're in. And it's not that difficult. But these things cause ripple effects. And it's like having Anne Hathaway play this, the heroine, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the character's name, but play that lead character in Silver Linings Playbook. It changes the tone. It changes everything throughout. Um, I've written some blog posts, you know, that's similar on like point of view. You know, changing from third person to first person um, profoundly changes. And I see authors sometimes giving advice, and I this is one of my pet peeves, because I think a lot of authors, especially newbie authors, are very free in handing out advice when they shouldn't be. And, and that's me being persnickety and crotchety, I suppose. But I saw, you know, someone was trying to figure out... Uh, asking for advice on how to write deep third-person point of view. And several people very glibly said, oh, what you do is you write it in first-person point of view and then go back and change the pronouns. And this is the point at which I kind of scratch my fingernails down the computer screen and I make sobbing noises and then I don't say anything because I can't say anything coherently. But, you know, that's terrible advice. Terrible. Because first-person point of view and third-person point of view are change everything about the story. It's not just a matter of changing the fucking pronouns. Uh, can you tell that I feel strongly about this? So, anyway... 
<coughs> I thought I was going to say something else I was just thinking about along those lines of tracking what I'm doing and being aware. At least I am getting a little bit more copacetic. Copacetic is a word my mother always says, and I don't think she uses it exactly right. But she's been using it so long, and I use it so long that now we, it's taken on its own meaning. There was a funny uh, XKCD cartoon about that, about uh, that he likes to throw in, beg the question anytime someone's like fighting a battle against a changing usage. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that because I'm always fighting the losing battle against changing usage. But families use words in ways that are not the strict denotation or connotation or even the popular understanding. So anyway, I will say that I'm growing more copacetic about knowing that I'm going to be thrashing at the end and just letting that happen. That That's clearly part of my process and I will, you know, maybe only write 2,000 words a day and then I will drink vodka and soda on the porch and watch Thor Dark World. <laughs> and, and actually, that's I, I messaged Kelly Robson, who's been ch checking in with me a lot on how I'm doing, and, and I said, does drinking vodka on the porch count as self-care? <laughs> Which I think to some people probably wouldn't. And she said that I could have all the vodka I wanted. So, you know, that's that's fair. I don't know why I don't know why I want to have drinks. It's not like I feel all that anxious. Um, it's a kind of relaxing. Uh, maybe it just like helps my brain disengage. That's an interesting thought. I was kind of thinking about you know like why so many or not so many, but I think we have an idea that a lot of writers are uh, alcoholics because of some of the famous examples. You know, like Hemingway and Hemingway. <laughs> there were others, I'm sure. I can't think of them right now because I have book brain. But, you know, when when I start feeling like I just want to sit on the porch and drink vodka and soda, then I, you know, start thinking about that. Oh, no wonder so many writers drink. But I do think that uh, it does help disengage your brain. Um, oh, and I'm going long today. On not last night, Saturday night, I dreamed all night about the book. I felt like I was working on the book all night long, um, which gave me some good insights that I used on Sunday. But it also feels like not all that restful. I slept very hard last night. And though I could talk longer, I won't because I need to get to work. And I've already gone 23 minutes, one of my longer podcasts ever. So I hope that you all have a wonderful holiday, if you get to have it off today. And thank you for sitting with me and enjoying my first cup of coffee, first cup of London Fog. And I will talk to you all, if not tomorrow, then Wednesday. Bye-bye.